0: Hello, you are listening to the Amitalk Fast 5, brought to you in partnership with Microsoft, the a and Consumer and Retail Group, Takeoff, Sezzle and Silk. The Yami Talk Fast Five podcast is the podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, most importantly, a little happier each week too. Today is October 20th, 2022. I'm your host, Dan Mazinga. And
1: I'm Chris Walton.
0: And we are joined once again, back for their regular monthly appearance, our good friends at the Alvarez & Marcel Consumer and Retail Group. Chad Lusk and Patricia Hong are here to give us their thoughts on all the headlines Making waves in the world of omni-channel retailing, I want to introduce Patricia. You first, please do Chris, because by all means, loyal listeners will remember Patricia from the Women's Retail Collective that we did a few years back. I'm a huge fan of Patricia's. Patricia, this is your first time on the Omni Talk Fast Five. Start by giving the audience a little bit of background on who you are and what you do at CRG.
2: Thank you,
0: Anne.
2: I'm really excited to be back. The loyal fans will remember my background. Play Same spot. I am a partner. In the CRG team, I do the bulk of my work in um, top line growth, but within the consumer and retail, I do a lot of work in beauty and fashion. I live in New York City. I have an 11 year old. I have a dog who I sent out, so she's.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we always love that.
2: And I that- do want to say happy birthday to my sister because today is her birthday. Oh. oh, wonderful. Well, we got a little birthday, yeah, shout, birthday out. shout out. Happy birthday, Patricia's yes. sister. We're really excited to have you.
0: Thank you so much, Chad. We've had you on the show so many times we can't even count anymore. But for those who might be listening to you for the first time, how? who are you? And tell us about your role at CRG.
3: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, so Chad Lusk out of Chicago here with uh, with CRG. I often describe myself as a consultant boomerang. I did it for a number of years back in the day, leading large-scale performance transformations in in consumer world. Then I held a series of of roles for over a decade in industry, uh, multi-time chief strategy officer, chief marketing officer in CPG and retail. And now I've been here with CRG for for two years. And I I work mostly at the intersection of uh, CPG and growth strategy, marketing, and commercial excellence
0: so we've picked the the perfect two guests for yeah. today's headlines chris cuz there are some bangers this there week there
1: are some bangers in yeah i think these i, I was saying to chat before the show started like they hit the lottery with this these yes. topics this week these are like the perfect topics to get them on their regular monthly cadence with us for to sure. get their thoughts on so for sure so I think, with that said, in I think we should get this party started. Let's go. What do you think? You yeah, think let's we should do, do, it. do this.
0: I, I think so. All right.
1: No, I can't. No. okay. Yeah, we can do it. All right. Today's fast five headlines are brought to you with the help and support of Manifest. Where can you get unprecedented access to the people and technologies changing the way the world moves in? At, At Manifest, Manifest. <laughs> of course. You can expect thought leadership, networking, and also Nelly. Yes, Nelly. Yes. Prices go up this week, but not if you use our special discount link that will be available in our show notes. You can also learn more about the conference at manifest. That's m a n i f e dot All right, and in today's fast five, we've got news on Amazon announcing it will air a Black Friday NFL game mm-hmm. in 2023. Ooh, I can't wait to talk about that. Procter and Gamble creating star-studded ad campaigns to convince consumers to pay for its pricier brands. Shein getting into resale. Smart cart maker Vive getting a new round of funding and pivoting their business model ever so slightly. Oh, yeah. But first, we take off where we
0: kind of have to, I think, Anne. Oh, God.
1: And that is the big merger news.
0: I mean, you have to give them credit. This was a wow, shocker headline last week, but now I feel like this is... It's, it's everywhere. Everybody's talking about this. Yeah, it's like, kind of
1: blasé at this point, right? Like
0: the and even in the
1: analysis too, potentially. Potentially, no but pressure, we, guys. We
0: are going to have an excellent analysis today, Chris. Because if you didn't hear, if you've been living under a rock, Kroger is merging with Albertsons. Last right. Friday, Kroger announced through a press release that it will acquire all of the outstanding shares of Albertson's companies common and preferred stock for an estimated total consideration of $34.10 per share, implying a total enterprise value of approximately $24.6 billion, including the assumption of approximately $4.7 billion of Albertson Company's net debt. So, In addition, Albertson Companies will also uh, pay a special cash dividend of up to $4 billion to its shareholders. The resulting purchase price represents a premium of approximately 33% of the unaffected closing price of Albertson Company's common stock on October twelfth, twenty twenty two. Holy buckets. Wow, nicely done though. That's a lot of that was a lot of lot content. A lot you of just bullet points, in there. Yeah. Um Chad, we're gonna go to you first, my friend. Nothing like jet setting across the country and then getting up first thing in the morning to talk about Kroger and Albertson's merger. What do you think of this move, Chad?
3: Uh, listen, I uh, getting back from the West coast is nothing compared to some of the jet lagged, uh, fast fives that you guys have done. So that's, uh, that's, that's <laughs> fair <nothing>. enough. <laughs> and I, I don't drink coffee. So you guys are like my natural adrenaline. So we're, uh, we're all good here.
0: If um, only you could bottle never, the fast five energy, Chris,
1: and
3: I've never been someone's natural adrenaline.
1: No, me, first either. For me
0: I think Chad's just like, it's like, fluff. Yeah, he's, just new, trying new, to, he's talking crazy. Already, he's right? trying, to, he's trying to like kill time about right. the, the merger that we right. got to talk about.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I've I've only had a I've only had a week to prepare for this one by the time it actually got <laughs> released, right? But right man, so many angles to go with this, right? And as you talked about, a lot of different perspectives that have that have been out there. So I mean, I guess kind of first blush reaction just on the retail landscape more broadly, right? I mean, by the numbers. It's interesting you're combining these massive entities number two and number three in the market really the only two pure play national grocers but combined they're still what less than 15 percent of the us market right. right this this deal could actually go through because right. of two factors right the fragmentation of just this sector overall and the size of walmart right mm-hmm. and so so that that's really interesting but maybe to, to take this kind of a different direction so i for me, uh, the one thing that was kind of hard to miss from this was the stated objective and, and desire to compete better with Walmart, mm-hmm. and how this may actually help drive lower prices versus typical antitrust concerns of rising prices. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so, you know, I'm going to look at this from a CPG perspective, right? So, what does that imply? Pressure on suppliers. Mm-hmm. So. Actually had the time, did a little research, asked a couple CPG guys and national account leaders that I, uh, that I know kind of what they thought about this. And I'd say the general sentiment was kind of a half dose of nervousness and a half mm. dose of excitement. So mm. kind of what's exciting. The whole deal was generally thought of as good for the grocery business to kind of give Walmart and, and Amazon. And interestingly enough, Amazon was, was thrown in there, uh, kind of a run for their money. Um, And thinking about that through the lenses of investments in the space, technology innovation, store updates, Mm -hmm. data personalization, just generally a more consolidated ecosystem in which you can rep your products, right? Net good. Mm -hmm. But the nerves around the pricing pressures on suppliers is very real. And so what I was generally hearing from folks was that it's becoming more important for CPGs to make investments in their analytics and their revenue and margin management teams and capabilities to be better equipped kind of for these negotiations uh, as they're coming down the pipe in order to provide enhanced ways to to provide va- value for retail customers. So, um, you know, kind of time, timely plug in a way, just in the last 24 hours, we, we had CRG published a piece that kind of gives a peek under the hood at at our approach to sort of this revenue and margin management plan, which is effectively kind of a cross-functional approach of driving growth through pricing, promo, trade, price pack architecture, all of that. And Mm -hmm. when done right, it's pretty unique in its ability to to look at uh, driving a program through the lens of not only your own financial viability, but the retailer economics and consumer proposition. And, and, you know, anyway, long story short, I mean, that's exactly what I'm hearing from the CPG leaders Mm -hmm. that their organizations need to invest in. So so kind of, uh, you know, a two sided coin in terms of how they're reacting.
2: Yeah.
1: Tale of two cities, really. Patricia, what do you what what do you think here? You want to jump in here? You have anything to add to what Chad said?
2: Chad stole some of my comments, but I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction. I am, you know, the one thing I have been curious in the last 24 hours is where the regulators are going to take this. So where Mm -hmm. is this going to end up? You know, Chad said this is less than 15 percent of market share. So it's not going to go the way that the Walgreens writing situation went. So it's Mm -hmm. going to get approved, but it's not going to get approved, I think, in the way that it's set up right now. I personally was curious. Um, to see what's going to happen with their idea that they pitched on this thing called the Spinco. So this is where they're going to put all of the... So rather than shutting down stores, they're saying... Oh, yep. right. The Bip,
1: divestiture. Right? Mm-hmm. These
2: like stores. And they're going to give shares to the shareholders of kind of the mm-hmm. separate entity. And they're creating some kind of... They're pitching it as an agile, but also I guess it maintains competitiveness in the marketplace. And there are some specific areas in the U S where they are the majority together. Right. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of curious where this is going to end up and how much is a PR play and how much is it actually going to be kind of like a business play at the end of the day?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the other points I'd bring up and to your, to the question you asked Chad would be, um, I agree with everything those guys just said, both of you guys just said, but, um, you know, for me, like the, the 5,000 stores is really compelling. Cause that puts you on par with Walmart essentially. Mm-hmm. And then the other things too, Ocado's tech comes yep. into play here for Albertsons and Safeway for the first time, really, yep. um, which is interesting for our part. You know, our sponsors take off too, because takeoff's you know, done a lot of work with Albertsons. So it's curious to see how that's going to play out. Right. And then the last point too, is this gives more scale to the retail media network, mm-hmm. which is the number one thing grocers are doing to offset the margin loss right. from the digital penetration that we're seeing in the marketplace. And That, to me, makes it fundamentally a really compelling move, too, ultimately, at the end of the day. But I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah, though, I mean, I, I agree with what's been said. I think you can pick any angle here to really dissect. There's so much here. What I'm really going to be watching closely, though, is there's been a ton of comparison to Walmart in this deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, really getting them to the scale. I think it's interesting to hear that Chad's CPG friends are considering Amazon in this set, too. It's not just about Walmart, but how they're 100%. going to compete against Amazon. Yeah. And we are not hearing as much about that in the reporting of this mm-hmm. merger. The question that I wonder is... You know yes you are the size now of walmart but that's a lot of banners to coordinate even when you're talking about rolling out tech when you're talking about supply chain and distribution and how the hub and spoke facilities that kroger's building come into play here retail media and real estate like in a lot of places you have like an albertson's and kroger like right down the street from one another in some of the markets that they're in too so i think like that's the that's another thing that i'm interested to see like how does all of this consolidation of these brands under one umbrella how does how long does that take before you are actually competing the way that Walmart can in that streamlined level
1: yeah and I think that I think your point about Amazon's really interesting too because they are sleeping on the sideline here mm-hmm. which I think gets to the point of the next headline too which I think is really important but according to Forbes the NFL and Amazon will stream a first-ever Black Friday football game via Amazon in 2023 Keep in mind, this news comes immediately following Amazon's inaugural 2022 year as the NFL's exclusive Thursday night broadcaster. And that while the NFL has never played a game on Black Friday, its typical Thanksgiving Day games average more than 19 million viewers, ranking them among the top 50 most watched telecasts of the year, according to Sports Business Journal. Chad, I I remember I gave you a ton of kudos the last time we talked about Amazon and its growing ad network. I think I even said that it was the single best answer in the history of our show. How baller is this headline? Like to me, I, I'm I'm pretty close to putting this as retail headline of the year. I know oh you guys are going to give me crap for that, but honestly, I would I would I would take the Pepsi challenge with this against almost anything when you talk about what's going to impact the future of retail. But what do you think?
3: Wow, uh, both statement, Chris. I mean, I. Uh- So first, I can't help but react to this just as a football fan, which I mean, listen, Amazon has ruined football Thursday. Have you watched watched a Thursday night football game this year? They have been among the worst. The Bears have ruined the football game, the (laughs) Thursday night football game, my friend. Fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. But everything has been absolutely atrocious. I, uh, listen. What I, is I, it?
0: Why, Why, Chad? Like, from your perspective, for somebody, well, for like Patricia and I who are like notably not like huge football watchers, like what is Amazon doing that's ruined the football watching experience? It,
3: it, it actually has nothing to do it's with Amazon. It has nothing to do with Amazon. Somebody
1: said football, this to David. me when I was giving a speech. They said the same thing and I was like, wait, are you talking about Amazon or the quality of football? It's like quality of football, right? So that's an important designation Because they're not getting good here. teams or what? Yeah, they're crappy games. Okay. They've just been terrible games and, and they've whatnot, been terrible but, games,
3: but, but, but honestly that's in portion why I why I don't I mean so let's separate Amazon doing this from the event of it happening on Black Friday right which you you know is is disrupted. Listen, we I love Thanksgiving football. It's great. Um, You know, a game the next day. You know, like this is when I'm trying to now actually (laughs) like get stuff done. You know, it's the wrong timing to have another game introduced in the schedule. So it's it's kind of weird, but you know anyway. Uh, like I don't necessarily see this, um, you know, what was quoted in the article is this like synergy between like, Hey, Amazon is top of mind for people on black Friday shopping. And so now you're going to tune into a football game on that. Like, again, completely irrelevant to me. It doesn't fit. Wow. So, uh, you know, it, in the end, you know, will football on Amazon more broadly drive what they're trying to do, which is prime. I mean, yeah, maybe. I mean, the only reason I still have direct TV today is because I get free NFL Sunday ticket. Right, it doesn't right. make my experience any better for it, but that's where the content is that I want to be. But, you know, going to a bar and them not having prime, like that sucks like yeah. me, and this actually happened a weekend, yeah. a, a Thursday or two ago. I was I was out. I wanted to stream it on my phone. The Prime account is actually connected to my wife, not mine, so I couldn't watch the game. Right. Like it's super disruptive, and yeah. so I don't like it as a consumer and a and a and a Prime user and as a football fan, but. Okay. I understand what they're trying to do. Interesting. The bar thing is something that could be overcome with time. I would think. Although
1: the same thing, thing your
0: happened to, to us. We were at a bar and obviously I didn't care to watch the football game, but they only had two smart TVs in the whole bar. And so those were the only two TVs, like these tiny TVs that right. were in this one designated area where people could watch the Thursday night football game. So I think that'll evolve. But I just think about yeah, like all this, all the sports bars across the country yeah. that are like going to have to make updates. But,
3: right. but yes, I'm very short term selfish. Locale on by yeah, locale. It. Yeah. That's right,
1: Patricia, what do you think here? You agree with Chad? You disagreeing with him? Because I'm about to vehemently disagree with with what both of you guys, I think, are about to say here. But Patricia, what do you think?
2: I care very little about this topic in the grand scheme of things. I'm not a football fan and I don't shop on Black Friday. I do think it's going to create a lot of problems for families on Black Friday. You, stay, you watch the games, you go out shopping. Yeah, I'm, I, I feel like I don't understand why Chad is so bothered about the whole thing, to be honest.
1: Well, okay, all right. But, Anne, what do you But for future of retail, like what does this mean for the future of retail? I want to bring back to that because. Yeah. You've been on the live stream, the shopable video conversations with me. Like, where yeah. do you put this?
0: Yeah, I think I, – I just – I don't care about the football game, too. I agree with Chad, like – and Patricia, this is, I don't think this is, like, going to stop people from Black Friday shopping. Like, that stuff in the PR announcement, I was like, give me a break. But I do think that this is going to create some really cool opportunities for what Amazon's going to be able to do, especially after what they saw with, um, you know, the first Thursday night football game and the number of Prime memberships mm-hmm. that they saw. Like, it's a brilliant move from Amazon. They give you all these opportunities to do special Prime discounts, food ordering discounts, 1 hour delivery deals while you're watching right. the game. Like there's so many things that they can put into motion with this yep. that I think that that's the really cool thing that we're going to see happen with this. But I I don't I'm not headline of the year though. Oh, I mean
1: oh, I see I I actually can't come up with one that's better than this, honestly. And I'm not doing this to be hyperbolic in any way. Like I actually think this is that big. Like it it's totally disruptive. It takes the idea of shoppable video over the long run and puts the idea on steroids. I mean Football games are the number one like hottest commodity live events for advertisers mm-hmm. and this takes that idea and runs with it potentially you know down the road like first the going rates for instantly shoppable ads during this broadcast are going to be enormous and second like sure black friday but now how long until the super bowl is broadcast via amazon you start thinking about that then you get into some really important mm-hmm. territory and third my favorite point of the like of this whole thing too is Walmart, which is a frequent NFL advertiser, is left holding the bag in this scenario where you create a shoppable video platform during these events, because what's the best Walmart's got? Kevin Costner on Yellowstone versus yeah. in via Paramount Plus? Like, he ain't coming up and saving the day on that horse. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, so this is very disruptive long term here, in my opinion. But I don't know. That's my take. Any final parting thoughts there, A&M folks?
2: I like Yellowstone. <laughs> <laughs> like.
3: I'm a little addicted to it right now oh yeah, yeah. kevin the, Ke- the dig at costner was not appreciated by patricia so yes kevin right. costner in some wrangler jeans always looks good though oh my god
0: yeah. all right let's move on to headline number three according to the wall street journal procter and gamble is quote rolling out star-studded ad campaigns and new product features from drip proof soap bottles to extra absorbent paper towels hoping to keep cash crunch consumers from switching to cheaper brands end quote According to Nielsen data, P&G has been underperforming in recent months amid inflation as consumers are going down in price. Um, In one example, commercial wrestlers Stone Cold Steve Austin and Ice-T demonstrate how Tide can be used in cold water, which is cheaper than doing laundry in warm water. Chad, I was really excited to have this one on, you being a former CPG CMO um, and Patricia, I want to hear your thoughts too as we think about like the broader implications of you know what trading down for CPG companies looks like. But Chad, let's start with you first. I want to hear your thoughts.
3: Yeah, I I, I think this is a an interesting intersection of what P and G is trying to do here, based on. You know obviously uh the macroeconomic standpoint, people trying to, you know, save money, recessionary times, you know, high inflation, uh, price gaps widening naturally between branded products and sort of uh you know insurgent private label or or cheaper brands. But but what I'm also seeing is that a lot of CPGs are doing this to themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So a number of companies that have been on a relentless pursuit of uh passing through price increases three to four meaningful price increases over the last kind of 12 to 18 months and they've been able to grow top line as a result of that and pass through costs but what happens when your brand's price point exceeds the overall value proposition promised to consumers right so once you violate that either in absolute terms so as a consumer, I'm not willing to pay that much for it, or mm-hmm. relative to competition, I'm not willing to pay that much more for it. Mm-hmm. Substitution happens, you know, much more rapidly. So PG is saying, hey, we haven't lost share right now, but the pricing yeah. increases are propping up the revenue. So, you know, the dam's about to break. So I applaud the effort, I suppose, in what they're trying to do to defend their turf. You know, like I, I picture tide as like you ever play as a kid, like king of the hill, right? Mm-hmm. And like tide's up there. You know and it was pretty easy when like one or two people climb up the hill to push them back down but when the swarm of kids keeps running up like you lose your right. footing and that's right. what all like these pesky little private label and cheaper brands are starting to do to them so okay yeah they have to act what, now
0: what oh i was just gonna say what's your thought as a marketer though of like spending yeah. investing in like vanilla ice and ice so that's like, what i was gonna
3: say right yeah so, do this from an ad campaign? Like, does that work? I mean, I guess if you have something to say, but, mm-hmm. you know, the it's not really all that compelling to, you know, kind of be like, hey, you know, buy us because, you know, like some of the examples that they gave, they're actually trying to change consumer behavior as mm-hmm. opposed to any like inherent right. clear benefits of the product. Right. 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 And it's sort of like, hey, now wash your stuff in cold water because that saves you money as opposed to, you know, like actually passing value in, in your product yes. or, or, you know, doing it with innovation. I mean, ideally new features, benefits differentiated from the cheaper brands, but also desirable benefits, mm-hmm. right? Uniqueness is only good if people care about it and are willing to pay for it. So things like extra absorbent paper towels, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Cardboard versus plastic packaging. I mean, I guess it depends on if you believe consumers are Backing up their sustainability desires with their wallets. I'm not so sure yet. So, you know, it it seems like a lot of kind of fancy throwing money at the problem, maybe not in the right way to actually solve for it.
0: Well, Chad, one thing I wanted to ask you, and you kind of mentioned it in the first story, but, you know, I'm curious what this means for CPG going forward because once pricing, like, I mean, everything's going up because of inflation no, once the market corrects, like now you have CPGs, they're, are they going to be bringing the price back down once inflation goes away? Like, or, you know, that starts to settle a little bit. And what are they going to do with all that extra margin too? Like, how does that play into this?
3: Yeah. I mean, so historically not, right. You know, you mm-hmm. don't typically see CPGs back off uh, right. price increases for obvious reasons, right. You chase right. it up and then you hold it you know, as, as things come down. Right. But I, I think it's really important and, you know, you kind of tee me up again. Right. So, so as we think about kind of these revenue and margin management programs, thinking about those levers that I was describing in terms of pricing and then offsetting promotion, right. How you think about trade, how you think mm-hmm. about overall price pack architecture that you can play with the value combination, a value equation to consumers in in different ways by using multiple levers, and it's not just a price game, right? It's not yeah. just about pricing through uh, you know list price increases. It's about how you work those in tandem again in order to make sure that yes, your economic equation holds up. That Mm -hmm. it works for the retailer from an economic standpoint, that it's still worthy of the shelf space that you're holding, right? And you're increasing all of their important metrics like Jim Roy and et cetera, et cetera. But then it also works for the consumer value proposition. And there was ways to do that beyond just the pure price alone. And you know, I think that's the onus on CPGs today is to look at a more sophisticated kind of revenue and margin management program, as opposed to just pulling on a single lever time and time again.
0: Right. Yeah. Patricia, what would you throw in here?
2: I mean, I would throw in, you know, I I agree with Chad when it comes to the advertising piece. Mm -hmm. I don't like the idea from a consumer standpoint that you're spending dollars in this economic environment in like big names to do big advertising campaigns. What I do like, and I think that they could take this further, but in a less flashy way is the whole education angle of Hmm. how can you do more with less? Right? How can you use these products um, for longer? How can it save it in the long run? Um, I think that piece is maybe something that they were trying to do, but it's getting lost even in the headlines. I also think that some of the innovation that's coming out and that they're talking about—it's not innovation that was done to save money, right? Because mm-hmm. these innovations they have been in the pipeline prior to the inflationary you know environment sure. mm-hmm. so i think you know again right you should you should talk about how those innovations can save you money in the long run but i think it would be less obnoxious if you did it in a more kind of you know you're doing it grassroots not big advertising um i think it would it would bother the consumer less it might have an you know a, a negative effect right chris what yeah. would you throw in here?
1: I mean, I don't have much to add. I think these guys covered it pretty well. I mean, I, I actually love Chad's analogy of the king of the hill. The only thing I would add to it is like the other part of this is that the ground underneath you at top that hill is breaking fundamentally because of the macroeconomic conditions. It's lowering it for everyone. So now right. it's like a free-for-all in this space. And the cream's going to rise to the top on this. And, you know, PNG's sat on that perch for a long time. So mm-hmm. it's part of me that's kind of like kind of good to see you guys having to work a little bit harder to be successful here going forward, too.
0: All right, let's go to headline number 4, Chris.
1: All right, Sheehan announced on month- Monday that it has launched its own resale platform called Shein Exchange. Shein, for those that may be unfamiliar, is the fast fashion app that has been taking the Apple App Store by storm. Here's how the new resale platform works according to Retail Dive. The app populates a customer's previous purchases, which can then be listed for sale through the Shein Exchange marketplace. Sellers then pay Shein 5% of their proceeds, and Shein can also set a maximum price that sellers can ask for an item if desired. Patricia, let's go to you first on this one. What do you think of this move? Do you like this one?
2: I'm so conflicted on this one. Oh, really? <laughs> Are us, you tell us why? Yes. As a as a mom of an eleven year old that puts a lot on her cart when she goes to Sheen online, wow, I am so okay. excited to be able to potentially get rid of a lot of Sheen inventory that's, you know, stocked up here at my house. I actually think that that idea could take off from a Gen Z perspective, more in terms of the thrill of being part of a community. So there have mm-hmm. been times that my my daughter and her friends, they tell each other stuff, right? Oh, this doesn't fit me. I'm not into this anymore. And they, you know, they're like, okay, well, how much do you want to pay me for this? So they're right. kind of doing that on their own. mm mm-hmm. So I could see that working and creating a buzz and a hype on the other side. It just bothers me so much because Why? this is you're reselling the concept of disposable clothing, mm-hmm. right? The and, and they're talking about it being part of the, you know, circularity angle. It is, they are a big offender to the environment, right? right? I mean, I, as a consumer and as a, just as a human being, every time my daughter showed me five different sweatshirts that and, and she's like, but it's not even like, you know, it's like $60 altogether. Mm-hmm. They're each like, you know, $10, $15 each. Mm-hmm. And you're like, but that's not the point. You don't need five sweaters. You're creating so much waste. Right. And then you're going to go and you're going to resell it. So you're opening up more space. You're making yourself feel better. And then you're you're. Buying even more sweaters and sweatshirts, so that really bothers me. Yeah.
1: So, so net net, you're kind of you're kind of jaded about this one, huh? You're kind of you're kind of jaded about why they're doing it and and and, and whether there's real value there. And do you agree with that, or what what angle would you put oh, on this? Oh, I think
0: this is an absolutely brilliant move for Shein. You like, do good. Oh, thank God. I, I okay. don't like it i think it's i think it's ridiculous like i'm with patricia like i don't think you need to feed this monster anymore but they're they're super smart they have the demand they made a digital investment early on in their platform to have a highly engaged app audience they're a digital first retailer like they have done everything right and now they're going to command five percent of sales like when you think about it from somebody who's a reseller who does this all the time like There is going to be nothing left for the seller. Like if you, like Patricia Patricia's saying, if you sell that $10 sweatshirt, you're only going to get $8 for that sweatshirt. You're not going to be getting $10 for the... Like if it's a $10 sweatshirt that you bought the oh, first time. Oh, you're going to sell it for dollars To eight? resell okay. it, you're going to yeah. get $8 and then 5% of that sale plus shipping, which that's the other thing that I think... Like they're trying to throw sustainability into this, but then how many right. times are you shipping that right. thing back and forth, right. which also creates right, a carbon footprint right. yeah um, kills your
1: margin too as a seller potentially
0: yes exactly so I think but that's the smart part here yeah. is that am I really going to get three dollars and 15 cents back for that sweatshirt no I'm gonna take it I'm gonna respend it on the Shein platform so if you're able to just get money for it in exchange that Shein's just facilitating this it's like yeah this is the most brilliant marketing move that she can so, make so, because you're just creating more and more you're feeding this like life cycle product the only thing that i think is challenging is that to patricia's point like this is cheaply made product so right. you're not going to be seeing the second third fourth life right for these garments like you would be in a like you know Lululemon with, a, sweatpants. with a Lululemon- <laughs> well yeah but but those are you are seeing a life cycle that's more than one or two know, buyers which I,
1: which I had never thought about until this point okay so net net if i recap what you said you like you like the move for Shein. You
0: I don't have, like it i think it's business a, move. it's a you brilliant like, it's a, business a brilliant move. business move so yes. you
1: like the move from their perspective yes. but you're kind of questioning how it fundamentally would work for the customers, and and whether it's kind of taking it, you know, sounds some, some taking advantage of people kind of coming. They're leveraging in that the community. Theme. Yeah, yeah. Chad, what do you think here? I know you're big in the resale market.
3: Uh, huge, huge. Yeah. No, I mean, so I'll be honest. I didn't know that much about Chain until I saw this article circulating mm-hmm. a couple of days ago. So I had to dig into it a little bit, and I, I think I come out where where Anne is here, which is. I mean, listen. It, it basically seems like a a a nice way to grab another five percent margin on yes. you know a low, you know price type product. But but here here's what feels you know what's rough about this whole thing is again I, I didn't know these guys, so I started looking into it, and like there is a pretty intense investigative report that just came out about these guys regarding mm-hmm. like questionable labor practices. Mm-hmm. So you know you already have this fast fashion, mega discount brand being called the task. And Mm -hmm. so the cheap prices may not have merit after all, because of the unethical nature by which they're supporting them. And then you add this resale platform, which, you know, again, as Ann said, like doesn't Patricia as well. Like, like we've really kind of degenerated this idea when you're talking about cheap, cheap clothing for resale. So like, is the sustainability, is it greenwashing? Is it a smart margin play? Like, It's just not passing the snip, like it feels icky Mm -hmm. and yes, that's a technical consulting term that I use in my PowerPoint decks (laughs) all the time. Um, and so it just doesn't feel right. So, okay. Got it. So the one point that I would
1: bring up though, and which I'm surprised you didn't bring this up too, is actually, I think one of the important elements of this story is actually how they're doing research.
0: Yes, for sure.
1: Um, which I want to key in on too, because you talked about, they have a highly engaged user base. But as a result of that and how they communicate with their customers, they know and they understand everything that's previously been purchased yep. through them. And so they're using that as the validation point for the buyers and sellers to make the transaction. Yes. Which is something we've talked about an approach we've espoused when we interviewed Recurate's CEO, Adam Siegel. Oh, yeah. So that's an important point to bring up here is like not only like you can question, you can question till the cows come home whether or not you like buy into why they're doing it and the philosophy around it. Yeah. But how they're doing it to me is absolutely brilliant because mm-hmm. it's so intuitive yeah, and makes it so easy, yeah. right?
0: That's such a that's such a great point. Like, yeah, the the methods that they're doing this, again, that goes back to what I said in the beginning part of my statement, like they are smart. This is a smart way. They are doing this in all the right ways. They are making it so simple for their very connected community right. to, to resell the product.
1: And that's and that's my point here, and is like every retailer should listening to this show should be able to like take take this as an example for how you can easily do resale for sure you all have that data fundamentally at your fingertips make this available for your community your highly engaged community
0: to enable them to do it right if Sheehan is doing it with products that are like right. five dollars for initial purchase like you should be doing this as a retailer the same way yes like, the exact same way right it's yeah.
1: instantly validating and giving credibility to the seller hundred
0: percent yeah all right all let's right. Let's keep going All right, headline number five, smart cart maker Vive last week raised $6.7 million in their latest round of funding. According to TechCrunch, Vive plans to use the newfound cash in two ways. One, by improving their existing full shopping smart cart model and also investing in a new plug-and-play device that can be clipped onto the existing shopping carts to turn them into smart carts. Patricia, let's go to you first. What do you make, if anything, of the ever so slightly announced pivot to turn any cart into a smart cart?
2: So I think the jury's out for me on this one in terms of will it work and how much value will it bring to, you know, the retailer that's bringing those smart cards. I was thinking about it from, you know, a couple of different angles. Will it bring more traffic? Will it increase, you know, your overall basket? Mm -hmm. And will it create more loyalty? And I think, you know, the only area where I think it adds significant value it's in the loyalty space because i think if you see what they're saying you can um i believe that if you're shopping over and over in that same store yep. it's storing your data it's storing your preferences then it's giving you advice on new products or new things that are coming up so it's allowing you to create a more sticky experience with that with, with that you know with that retailer with that said i'm a little curious as to which segment it's going to appeal to okay so in my case i mean i i like the technology but i'd rather spend the least amount of time in in a grocery store right and so this is not necessarily as appealing to me as much as it has kind of all the you know it, it sounds cool but i'm not sure it's actually as sticky as it looks i don't know chad if you had any thoughts on that one
3: um yeah, I, I probably would think about it a little bit differently from um the standpoint of uh, yeah, so i I love uh innovation. I think consumers love innovation i e gets the most traction when it has a touch of the familiar in the newness, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I've stood and watched people try to figure out Amazon Go, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's at an airport, Hudson News, or a grocery, right? Like it's often kind of a difficult leap for people and they get like stymied into walking away. And so I, I think it's a little more intuitive in terms of like, comfort familiarity with the existing shopping process today. You don't have to engage with the screen, right? But, you know, use it for your essentially, you know, kind of just walk out type capabilities, right? So I, I like this for a few reasons. There's there's that. I, I would assume it's less capital intensive than going you know full just walkout store retrofit probably right. even yep. full smart cart options that the like,
1: these guys make right mm-hmm. yeah.
3: yeah like like caper dark dash mm-hmm. cart like you know cheaper than that right um and you know I I love you know I'll I'll go back and and steal your wonderful point earlier Chris and a different topic but like the the retail media networks that you know kind of this brings to the screen and personalization and all that like that's super interesting to me as well. It seems like they've also solved some of the operational issues of earlier carts with small, you know, the baskets were too small. You couldn't take them out in the parking lot because of weather. They solved a bunch of those things. So I actually kind of like this as a good intermediate step toward, you know, this uh, more frictionless experience that we, I think, you know, we all believe is is coming and going to get here.
0: Well, Chad, you have family experience in the in the shopping cart industry. Did you get any, tell the listeners a little bit about your experience and did you get any insight from uh, Papa Lusk?
3: Yeah, little known Lusk trivia. So my, my father, uh, Mr. Chuck Lusk himself, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, used to be in the shopping cart business. Uh, he was CFO for the company that developed and pioneered the plastic shopping carts. Wow! Um, so there, there you go. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he did not see this technology coming back in the day. Unfortunately with the, uh, with the West coast trip, I did not have an opportunity to check in with him beforehand to get his, uh, to get his hot take.
0: This is a, a yeah. A great Thanksgiving topic
3: exactly yeah. right exactly although right. i would bet the smart cart
1: definitely passed his like purview at some point because this idea is not new like right. it's been in the works since like 1980s i can remember seeing like videos from that people have put around on youtube around yeah. this concept but i don't know i i mean i think the pivot's smart mm-hmm. you know I and too. i think ultimately i mean it makes like chad you mentioned it but it makes one it makes the idea more testable for retailers because you don't have to spend a god-awful amount on the actual cart itself right which may not hold up to wear and tear, given the elements and people beating the hell out of it and all that kind of stuff. Yes. So I think just to get it into market, it makes sense. But the other point I would make, and I would say this, because I actually got asked this question when I was presenting at a silk event in Boston this week, I got asked of like how I would still view this this area of experimentation. And I still said, I wouldn't be rushing to invest here, mm-hmm. at least not right away. And what I said to them is I'd actually be looking, if I was a grocer, I'd be looking at how Schnucks is going about this. Yeah schnooks is taking the right model for the average grocer to get the benefit of computer vision Mm -hmm. and particularly operationally they're going with robotics computer vision on the robots first Mm -hmm. that way you get the benefits of better inventory better pricing get your feet wet with it understand what it means for your operational dynamics of running a store day in and day out right then and only then do you start investing in this Mm -hmm. like this is the next step in my mind and so that's the approach i think you have to take because ultimately if you don't, you're asking – it goes back to what Chad said before in the CBG conversation with P&G. You're asking to consumers to adopt something to prove it out, which that is never the right approach. You should go with what you can do operationally on your own first and foremost – and still, the other point i bring up lastly is I don't know why this is still better than cameras in the ceiling in the long run. Yeah. Enabling the shopping experience that we all want as the cost for that come down. Yeah. And people understand how it works.
0: And it doesn't require, like, an actual device. Like, you can do cameras in the ceiling, right. too, are able to facilitate the shopping trip that Patricia's talking about where I just want to run in and grab right. a couple things versus, like, having to grab a cart and go through the store as that extra mechanism. I do like the clip-in, though. Like yeah. now, that pe- now, that clip on it, now that I'm now that I'm I'm ing yeah. all the time I right. know what clip on right. clip in means yeah. like I mean uh, yeah. yeah you gotta you,
1: ties or clip ons. yeah you know?
0: it can be the a fun experiment your
1: chips those but are clip ons. Your, your
0: point about though like how you're getting your product set ready and you're training computer vision like that whole part of it is a huge investment that isn't just a clip on to the shopping cart right away yeah. like you gotta be making those investments really on
1: and you talk to the people that really understand this that are on the forefront of computer vision experimentation the one thing they'll say is like we had no idea how much data is even coming our way totally. you have to figure that out first before you actually ask the consumer to like start making all these big changes yes let's go to the lightning round all right let's
0: get you out of here um first question is for patricia patricia amazon style just opened their second location in columbus ohio this week what are you most excited to see when you make your first trip to an amazon style if you haven't been already patricia
2: i have not been my first trip is gonna have to be with my daughter Okay. And I keep mentioning her just because I feel like this generation just looks at things and experiences things in a very different way than what we used to. But I I love it. I love the idea. I was reading up about it, and there's so many things about it that I just think are bringing kind of the virtual world with the offline world. For me, the biggest thing is it's it's frictionless, Mm -hmm. it's personalized, and then you walk out with the items. Right, yeah. you don't have the wait time of ordering something and then waiting for it to get shipped. And there, are many, you can. I think the experience can go in many different ways depending on how you interact with with the app and you know how much you want to play around with it. And I just love it. I'm super excited.
0: Okay, we'll
1: yeah. report back, Patricia. Which, which is also exactly why Dilip Kumar told us they built the store. Yes. So you can actually walk away with it that day. All right, Chad. A California bakery recently made what it refers to as pan or pan solo depending on how you want to pronounce it a six-foot replica of han solo frozen in carbonite chad what is one other movie memory from your youth that you would like to see forever commemorated
3: by way of baked goods i oh shoot uh bobblehead's not in this room okay so uh ghostbusters oh good um pete venkman getting uh slimed commemorated in and i'll tell you why this is uh, important in twinkie form because okay. of uh obviously the twinkie reference within ghostbusters yeah. and i used to work at uh hostess so there All you right. go the triple oh connection Good. there
1: I thought you were going to go with like an edible Stay Puff marshmallow man. I mm-hmm. thought that's where this was headed, but that mm-hmm. was great. Could have done like
0: that rice krispie treat Stay Puff marshmallow. Yeah, let's man. keep. Oh, yes, oh. and and all, yes right, and all right, all right, all uh, right. Patricia, question number three. Bravo announced that former J Crew president and turnaround icon Jenna Lyons will be joining the cast of Real Housewives of New York. Do you, Patricia, have a favorite Real Housewives moment or cast member from seasons past?
2: So I am a huge fan of the yes. interior, um, housewives franchise i had caught up on the news and yeah so for me it's um i played this game with my friends called Housewives bingo <laughs> Jesus. i'm trying to collect how many of the new york housewives i've actually seen in person oh my God. um and it generally happens in the hamptons because that's where they summer oh my uh, gosh. i'm almost done with all of them i have Blue several times i'm very excited
0: So is Luann like your free space on Housewives Bingo?
2: There is some free space.
0: I have not (laughs)
2: seen the new one. Anyway, yeah.
0: So so you're so this is gonna Let's be see. great. I can't wait to see Patricia's Real Housewives bingo card with the seven new cast yeah, members. Yeah, we might need a picture deadline. of that yes. for our show
1: notes at yes, some point. Absolutely. In time. All right, Chad, last one. Data from Placer AI suggests that McDonald's recent adult happy meal collaboration with Streetwear brand Cactus Plant Flea Market might be its most successful collaboration yet. Chad, what is one adult happy meal collab that would undoubtedly get you to stop in at the Golden
3: Arches? <laughs> I, I do my, my, my first thought is what should McDonald's put in adult happy meals? Maybe like Tums or Pepsi, or something like that. but uh, no, let me stick with the theme. Um, so uh, uh Ghostbusters theme bobbleheads. There we go. Oh, all right. I, I like it. that. I like that. All right. All right. Well,
1: that wraps us up. Happy birthday today to Vigo Mortensen. John Krzyzewski, and the man my buddy Oven just got to party with recently. What? Yeah, and seriously, he partied all day with Snoop Dogg. Like a private party with Snoop Dogg. Where's our invite? Yeah, and of course, Patricia's sister. What's her name? Give her a shout out, Patricia.
2: Her name's Flavia.
1: Flavia. All right, happy birthday to Flavia. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it OmniTalk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you. And we try really hard to make it all fit within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks as always for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. Reminder: We are off next week. Oh yeah, that's yeah. We're taking a much-needed vacation on account of some travel. Ann and I again have planned because we're we're not going on
0: vacation. No, we have work travel. We're
1: taking a fast five vacation. Yes, yes. Yes, we are still working. So rest assured. (laughs) All right, Chad, Patricia. If people want to get in touch with you, uh, learn more about NMCRG.
3: What's the best way for them to do that, Chad? So the easiest place is directly to our website. It's Alvarez and Marsal-CRG.com. Uh, you could also find us on our LinkedIn page, Alvarez and Marsal Consumer and Retail Group. You can uh, reach out to me directly on LinkedIn and uh, same with Patricia. Patricia also leads uh, all of our CRG uh, recruiting and, and hiring efforts. So if you're interested in learning more about us from uh, an employment standpoint and joining uh, an awesome team, uh, reach out to Patricia as well. Nice. Love that. All
1: right. Well, on behalf of Chad and Patricia and all of us here at Omni Talk, as always, be careful out there.
0: Yami Talk Fast Five is a Microsoft-sponsored podcast. Microsoft Cloud for Retail connects your customers, your people, and your data across the shopper journey, delivering personalized experiences and operational excellence. And is also brought to you in association with the a and Consumer and Retail Group. The a and Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate their robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com. And Cezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy-now-pay-later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four interest-free payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit sezzle.com. And Silk. The Silk Cloud DB virtualization platform is a virtualization layer between your workloads and the cloud. Helps you scale your cloud without scaling your costs. Visit silk.us to learn more.